is the Home Buying Secrets Podcast. We help educate first-time home buyers on the biggest purchase of their lives. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Home Buying Secrets Podcast, sponsored by Homestocks.com. Um, today, let's talk about what, what, do, what do people think about or what people should think about before they even uh, embark on this journey of purchasing what very likely is the biggest uh, you know, financial uh, decision or asset of, of their lives. Um, I am joined once again today by, by, by Jason and Frank. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing great, good morning. Good morning, doing pretty good, nice to be here. All right, so you know, I'll, I'll go first because uh, a lot of our audience that, that we're targeting are, are, are FANG employees like myself. And a big thing uh, FANG employees like myself think about is, hey, when should I sell my stock? When should I sell my Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Microsoft stock? Is it going to always go, go up and to the right like it has been the last couple of years? So, you know, I've been monitoring loosely what's going on. And, uh, you know, a big word and topic that's going through the, the media and just around uh, everywhere recently is inflation. And, you know, here are my two cents on, on inflation. Once you put 10 to $15 trillion into the economy, uh, prices are going to go up. And you know, whether it's a little bit, a medium amount, or, or a big amount. So inflation is prices going up. And uh, everyone uh, needs to reposition themselves for, for inflation. Because uh, when inflation goes up, I think tech stocks will be obliterated. Here's why. Prices go up. Government sees prices go up. So they want to raise interest rates. The cost of borrowing goes up. So less money is being spent. The whole goal is to keep us in the economy more restrained when you do that. So if you're an investor, because let's think about it, the people moving the markets is not like Joe Schmo, like me. It's talking about, you're talking about uh, huge asset managers, right? And when they think about inflation, they're going to start thinking about how much money they make into the future, right? When you discount those dollars, there's less of those dollars if the interest rates goes up. So then they're going to start rebalancing their portfolios to make sure they have more dollars today, not 10 years from now. And all that puts pressure on tech stock because they're valued on uh, multi-year discounted cash flows. So you see uh, more individuals and, and professionals, organizations moving things to like savings accounts, bonds, physical and real assets of which a home uh, is one. And all of that's going to get worked out in the economy, right? So uh, that's super complicated, but that's generally how I think about things. And that's why I'm interested in buying a home because I saw this coming um, over many years. I didn't know it was you know 2019 or 2020 or just 2021, but I've been preparing myself for this moment. And I think we are there. Federal Reserve Chairman just uh, mentioned uh, raising interest, potentially raising interest rates in 2022. So that's what I think about as uh, like a buyer. Uh, a buyer who happens to be working at like, you know, a tech company. So you guys uh, deal with a lot more, a lot more uh, home buyers and people who refinance. Um, maybe let's start off with Chasen. What do you, you know, what should uh, a first time home buyer or someone who's maybe buying a second home think about uh, before they get into all of this? I think people should try to keep it as, as simple as possible, right? You can kind of dive into all of those, you know, macroeconomic policies and things like that. But at the end of the day, 
Um, you know, I think people should just look at their personal finances. You know, you could try to time the market. You could try to inflation's at its peak and stock market valuations are at their highest and, you know, all of that stuff. But uh, seriously, at the end of the day, I think people just need to, to take a look at their personal finances. You know, uh, do you have a good job? Can you afford a payment? Are you, are, are you stable, right? Because that's the main difference with, uh, you know, renting a, renting a place. Um, you know, there's always the opportunity to, to, you know, move out, get, get roommates and not that you can't have roommates when you own a home. I mean, that's actually, you know, some strategies that people will take on, uh, but there's a lot more flexibility when you are renting and there's a lot less surprises, right? You can get hit with, you know, bigger ticket items uh, on homes that can cost a lot of money, maintenance that people didn't really foresee. Um, so you just have less, you got less wiggle room. So you want to make sure that you're set up, you're stable, and uh, and at the end of the day, you know you're going to have to live somewhere. So, you know, buying a place is definitely a, a good start. Frank, what about you? Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me, Jason. Pretty much took took my whole my whole spiel right there. But um, it, it's kind of like you always got you know you're gonna you're either gonna be paying rent or you're gonna be paying a mortgage somewhere. You need a house, you know, roof over your head. So start taking advantage of the the small tax break you get. Uh, build equity. Um, and you only really lose if you sell at a down period. So don't don't try to be a pro and think you're going to make a whole bunch of equity in the next year, two years time something, you know, if it's your primary house, buy it, keep it for seven to 10 years, and you'll be fine. So that's the way I, I look at it. And what I tell my clients, you guys make a good point. So Frank, you're saying, you know, don't try to be a pro Jason, you're saying don't overthink it. And I think Many people want to go down that route, but a, a lot of these, as I say, our audience is like, you know, uh, like crypto guys or people or, or, or bank employees. They love to overthink. They love to min-max. Like, hey, how do I get this like 0.1% benefit? This is a philosophy, I think, which is great to share. Um, but if we had to get into some of the, let's just say some of the benefits of, of home ownership or some of the strategies, Jason, as you talked about, then like renting and um, sharing. Um, what are some of them? And maybe I can share a story first uh, coming from the military, right? Because I think, uh, especially, uh, you know, for, for a lot of veterans or current service members, they're, they're frankly living in uh, lower cost of living areas, right? Next to the base. It's not going to be like a million dollar home in Orange County because, you know, those of us who live in SoCal, we're so used to these like really high uh, real estate prices, but I've got lots of friends and I still not, I still know a lot of people in the military, you know, houses in their neighborhoods could cost like 200,000, 300,000, very affordable, even on uh, a military salary. And, uh, you know, we know a guy, Devin, and what Devin did was uh, he, he, he bought a house every time he sh went to a different base. And, uh, you know, it is a process to buy a house property, right? Uh, but he found the right team. And he found roommates, his buddies, who basically helped pay for his mortgage and uh, it was a win-win for everyone because they had to pay less than they would on, on a market rent. Uh, they got to live together because they're friends and they could you know, work out together or whatnot. And he got most of his mortgage covered. That seems to be like a pretty common strategy, at least uh, in the military. Um, have you guys heard of uh, any other strategies or any other like benefits, obvious or less obvious for buying a home? Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
there's not a ton of strategies, I would say, when it comes to buying a primary residence. There's a lot of different strategies when you get into buying like investment properties. You know, that's where people really start to get creative. But when you're buying a primary residence, you know, it's it for the most part, the majority of people, it's going to be them and their family, right? So are you married? Do you have, uh, you know, a family? You're probably not going to be doing anything too crazy. You're going to find something affordable. You're going to find something in a good neighborhood. You're probably going to look for schools, things like that. Um, you know, that, that's kind of more in Frank's wheelhouse. Uh, really the only other strategy and you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, John is, uh, you know, if you do have uh, a little bit more flexibility, kind of like, you know, Devin's situation where he's in the military, he's moving around, you know, that's an awesome opportunity when you have other friends, especially, uh, to go buy something, have roommates and have them help make the payment for you. Um, you know, especially in a situation like the military, uh, you know, you've got some really cool loan benefits. So you can get into a home without having to save up a ton of money. You can get really, really great interest rates, you know, keep that payment down. And if you've got people you trust, especially that can move on in, um, you know, they're going to have to go rent something else. So I'm sure they'd rather, you know, have a place with their friends than, uh, you know, strangers. So that's a, a pretty good way to do it. In California, it's a little bit more difficult. Obviously, uh, you know, the, uh, the amount uh, that rent is going to cover compared to what you're paying on a property in California is not going to be nearly the same as something that you get in other places in the country. Um, you know, there are other markets that cash flow a lot harder. And so it's much easier. You can get somebody to get in there, pay the rent, and you can, you know, potentially put yourself in a position where you're actually not paying anything out of pocket to own a home, um, you know, at the end of the day. But uh, in California, I think that's a little bit more difficult. I've heard of it happening. So not to say that it's impossible. But you can still find somebody to help offset, you know, a majority of the payment, make your living situation very, very affordable. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, you're reaping all of the all of the benefits. You get the tax benefits. You get the appreciation. You know, they're helping you pay down your mortgage. Um, you know, you get a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And uh, strategy wise, obviously, I think it has a lot to do with where, where you're at in your life. Um, when I bought my first house, single guy, I actually bought a four bedroom, two bathroom house. Um, and rented the other three rooms out to my buddies. We were in our early 20s, so it was kind of a fraternity type of thing. <clears throat> now, uh, wife and two kids pr probably aren't going to have my buddies renting rooms out. It's just where we're at. Um, but um, a good opportunity would be to potentially, even if you have found maybe a duplex or a triplex or four units, you can buy that. Now you get into it and if you live in the property, if it's your primary, you get a better interest rate versus if it's an investment. So you can potentially buy a duplex, buy a triplex, buy some units, get an owner-occupied rate, have your family live in one and rent the other ones out. And then, um, at, you know, whenever at point you want more room, you want a bigger yard, you want to move to a different part of town, your family grows, um, move somebody into your unit and go and, and, and buy another property. And you still have to get to keep that killer interest rate. I want to follow up on uh, one thing Jason said and then ask you another question. So let's talk about this like moving around strategy. Uh, what What is the actual rule? Because uh, I, I heard something about you need to like live in your primary residence for at least a year. Is there, is there like a, is there like a federal law? Like what, what is this, Jason? Yeah, so it's not so much a, a federal law um, as it is, you know, basically the contract that you're signing. So when you're signing documents, you know, for a loan on a primary residence, you are stating that you intend to occupy the home for a minimum of 12 months. So yeah, I mean, if you're moving every single year, you can theoretically go ahead and buy a primary residence every single year, take advantage of the lower interest rates, lower down payment options, you know, all of those things. And as long as you occupy for 12 months, then, you know, you've satisfied your obligation to the lender. 
Uh, and at that point, move out, buy another one, kind of rinse and repeat. Uh, if you don't live there the full 12 months, you know, it's, uh, I've seen it happen a couple different ways, right? Because there's, there's no hard rule. You intend to occupy it. And sometimes, you know, even the best of intentions change. Um, so I've seen people that will be in a place for six months and then all of a sudden their dream home comes on the market and they want to upgrade. Um, you know, something happens with the family. Maybe they have a, a, a child and they want, uh, you know, parents to move in and they need a bigger home. Um, you know, there's all sorts of different extenuating circumstances. And um, so, you know, it's not a, a 100% set in stone rule. There are different opportunities and, and uh, circumstances where I've seen people move out and they, you know, don't really run into any issues. But at the same time, I've seen it go the opposite way. Uh, I had one client who just finished up a refinance and then a month later was submitting offers on a brand new primary residence. And as soon as that loan got put into underwriting, the underwriter came back and said, um, yeah, hey, you're, this is great. Your loan, is, it will be approved. But in order for that to happen, that house that you just refinanced is a primary residence. You've got to redo that as an investment property and take a higher interest rate on it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's kind of the, the risk you run. Uh, technically, you know, you are signing that you're going to live there for that 12 months. So theoretically, the lender also could call that note due. Uh, I've never, I've never seen it gone to that extreme before, but I'm sure that it's, it's happened, you know, especially if, if there's blatant abuse of it. I want to add two kind of like sound bites slash stories to, to upsides. And then I want to talk about some downsides because people don't think about that uh, enough. So two of the other upsides, one is a quote from uh, a former real estate professor I had, John Swire, and he says something along the lines of his father, but purchased his first home for maybe a hundred thousand dollars and then John Swire purchased his first home for you know roughly a million dollars and he expects that his son will buy his first home for something like two million or above so it's good to just have that mindset because trying to time the market or wait for the right thing it's hard uh, but over the course of things there's just going to be growth uh, in price and that's something people need to get used to the second uh upside, which I, I, I love thinking about this way, is when you're buying a home, usually you're, you're, you're getting a loan. So you are borrowing today's money at today's value, and you're repaying it with future money. Usually inflation is not zero. It's going to be, uh, it could, rarely it could be negative, negative, but usually it's like positive, right? Positive inflation. Even if we're not talking about hyperinflation, um, it's kind of nice that you're using cheaper money, future money to pay for uh, what you're borrowing today. Maybe it's not that big of a deal, but I, I love thinking about that concept. I think you guys made, made it pretty clear about some of the, the upsides and some of the strategies of, of home owning, which for primary residents sounds like there really isn't much. You just have to live there uh, and you're doing it for a specific purpose. Now, I really want to get into some of the downsides because this is a big move. And, you know, I think our, our Part of what our show is about is helping people make the best uh, informed decision. And I think homeownership isn't right for, for everyone. It's probably wrong for a lot of people. So um, maybe uh, Frank or Jason, you guys can talk about some of the downsides you've seen, common misconceptions perhaps of what it's like to own a home. Well, um, you're responsible for everything. You know, um, something breaks, you, you, don't, you don't just email or call your landlord and tell them to fix it that that's on you so there's definitely the the costs involved with me and and obviously costs involved with maintaining the property you know if you don't do 
repairs and keep up, even like say on the exterior, then you'll have a ton of what's called deferred maintenance. Um, and then at some point have to deal with it. Um, you know, just imagine if you have a roof, a poor roof, um, and you need to put a new one on and you ignore it. And then the water gets in the attic and then it turns to mold and it just, it, it starts, starts compounding there uh, pretty quickly. Um, so definitely, you know, keeping up maintenance, uh, things along that nature, it, it, it's your responsibility. Um, probably the biggest um, complaint that I get from clients is more of people that buy their, say their first house or they live in a homeowners association. Not every single time, but usually, usually after four or five, six years, the people are over the HOA, you know, they're, they're tired of say the HOA fees going up or, or special assessments or, you know, this per particular area of the, of the property is not getting fixed. And they said that they were going to do it. Um, that, that's a, a big motivation factor that I get from clients that are in an HOA. They're tired of paying. They, they, they tell they, they, they reference it as I'm tired of throwing my money away. I want to sell this place and I want to go buy myself a single family detached home with a yard. I, I saw a ton of that especially th this last two years uh, because of COVID with everybody staying home, people living in apartments or say not, not renting apartments, but owning condos and they were stuck at home and they wanted more room. And so they called me and we sold their condo and they bought a house with a yard. Some of them even bought some places with a pool and they were so pumped. Um, so that, those are a couple negative things that I come across. Costs, you're, you're, you're the person that's got to pay for everything. And then uh, HOA is not panning out how you expect them to. Um, I have a follow-up and then I'll turn it over to Jason. You make a good point, Frank, because I have to say I am not a handyman and I rented for most of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I am that guy. I am that guy who calls the super or the building maintenance to fix a light bulb. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it, 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 I'm, I'm partially ashamed. But I'm right there guy. with you. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, sometimes they do more, I guess, you know, like they do some like, like regrouting something. I'm like, okay, that looks you know, theoretically doable. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like if, if people can pick up some, you know, handyman skills, watching YouTube videos, uh, it's not a bad thing. You know, now that uh, I'm in my girlfriend's condo and she owns it, uh, it, you know, I'm fixing like shower heads, I'm fixing like these like minor things. It's not that hard if you really just get down to it. You just need some basic tools. So, um, so how about you, Jason? Any common downsides or maybe things that people first time home buyers don't expect and then they complain about afterwards? The majority of, of complaints and stuff on my end, and obviously I'm on the finance end, so I usually hear the finance side of it. And really, I think it's, for me, the thing I see is just people rushing into something that they're not quite ready for, um, especially right now. You know, we saw this back in like 2005, six, seven, eight, uh, buying a home was the hot item, it was the thing to do. And right now I feel like we're headed back into that. I have not had so many people reach out recently, uh, you know, that are all looking at, hey, I've, I've got to buy a home. Tell me about buying a home. Like everybody I talk to now is looking at buying a home where even a, two years ago, um, you know, that really wasn't the case. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I think people can get kind of caught up in that mad rush of, hey, everybody's doing this. I should be doing this too. Interest rates are low. Now, supposedly the time, let's do this. And you just don't want to force it, right? I mean, you're signing up for a, major payment for the next 30 years of your life. And 
and, and, you know, it's okay if you're not ready just yet, you know, at some point in the future, I'm sure that you will be, so you don't have to force it now. So that's the biggest thing. When I come across people that are, they, the thing they want to buy is over and above what they can, you know, afford on paper. Uh, and then we got to come up with creative ways to get them into it and, you know, figure out how to, how to pay off other bills and, and drive down debt ratios and things like that. Uh, you know, that's usually a sign to me. The big one I see is down payment when they, you know, don't have a big enough down payment. They're trying to say, Hey, what's the absolute minimum down payment I can put down? Uh, you know, ah, I might be able to get to that. You got to recognize not only with the down payment, but you've got closing costs. And then after that, you're going to want to furnish that place. And I think that's one thing that people oftentimes forget. And I see a lot of times with my first time home buyers, you know, because we'll connect and especially in the most, you know, the last couple of years, interest rates have been trending down. So, you know, I'll be in contact with them. They'll hear interest rates have gone down. We'll talk about reducing their payment after the fact, you know, by refinancing into a lower interest rate. And then I pull their credit and I find, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 of credit cards, uh, you know, drove their scores down and say, Hey, what happened? Like, Oh, well, you know, when I moved in, I didn't realize that it was so expensive. I, I had to, you know, buy movers. I had to buy furniture. I wanted to do this. I remodeled that. And, you know, next thing you know, they're just, you know, clinging to, to, you know, dear life with tons and tons of bills. So I think that's the biggest thing is you just want to make sure that it, it is the time you're ready for it. And, and not the time in the sense of where are we at in the economy, uh, but more the time in where are you at in your personal finance journey? That's such a good point. I feel like I've underestimated my financial position by maybe 15 to 20%, because now that I'm, I'm really in it and, and I'm lucky in some aspects because I'm buying a, a new construction. So less worry about the, the fixing of things. But I just thought about this, you know, I've been living in my tiny, uh, generally speaking, tiny LA apartments where I've got, you know, one bedroom and maybe one living room full of stuff that I get, you know, that I've shared with a roommate or whatnot. And now I'm going to move into a three bedroom too bad. Uh, I don't even have enough furniture. And when I started looking at furniture, you know, I just haven't shopped for furniture in a while. And I started looking around. Furniture gets crazy. It's you know usually it's in the thousands of dollars, right? And, and you can really get luxurious with things. So, I think in future episodes of, of this of this of this show, we're going to cover me trying to uh, build a plan on on how to furnish a place and just how long it takes and, and how to budget money. Because another thing, you know, let's talk about um, what we call W two employees, right? Like the people who work at these tech companies, is that you're always trying to maximize your um your, your taxes so uh so you know what i do a lot is hey how do i make sure i get my nineteen thousand five hundred for my 401k of which my company matches some and, and some people never know when they're going to like leave the company or stay with the company so you want to uh, front load that into your into uh from your paycheck so earlier in the year you, your paycheck might take a hit because of that uh now have, now there's lots of options about um HSAs, so I'm really looking to that as, as well. Uh, so there, there's some payments there, uh, out-of-pocket out out payments because you wanna take some of that money to, to invest. And, uh, and then some companies offer like, uh, you know, backdoor uh, Roth 401ks. So there's just so much going on and that's to add like a mortgage on top. And uh, if it's not a new property, like maintenance, like fixing the roof, I wouldn't even know where to get started. And then furnishing 
I, I think you guys are totally spot on. It's really a lot to take in um, and it's okay to slow down and just get yourself ready for this moment. What, one, uh, one thing I'll just plug in there, just, just to clear things up. So depending on your agent, I would hope that your agent, you know, is going to be honest with you guys and go, not you, but go through the inspections and stuff. But with my clients, you know, we go and do our inspections on a property, um, whether they get fixed in escrow or not, I just want to make it clear to my clients, like, hey, look, at this is what you guys are buying. You know, that there we find, are there roof issues? Are there plumbing issues? Are there electrical issues? So if you got, you know, a, a decent inspector and a good agent, you're not just going to be buying this property blind. You know what I mean? And not every client calls me and says, hey, the roof stirred up because hopefully we know, right, what 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 the ages are on the different system, what needs to be fixed right away. But still, you know, being a homeowner, things things come up. So so I'm just. I don't get too many complaints on that. I'll be honest. The probably the one that I get the most is like, oh, my neighbors light off fireworks, you know, for two weeks before Fourth of July and drive my dogs and cats crazy. That's that's probably the most common one as far as like Frank, you know, this the sprinklers don't work in the back. It's like, well, come on, you know, you're gonna have to fix some stuff. You know, one thing um, going back to this whole like being ready and, and getting prepared stage. Just the background story is Ch Chase introduced me to Frank. And Frank, I don't know if you remember, but I was just checking through my emails. The first time I contacted you about, at the time, seriously buying a property was 2017. Yeah. So it was it was over four years ago. And and it really took me four years. It's no surprise, you know, the last four years I worked at Amazon. So I, I got myself more financially stable. Um, and the fact, you know, just the relationship it takes, right? I mean, you, you could be working with a client from maybe not everyone, hopefully not everyone's four years because then, you know, uh, it's going to be tough for you. But uh, I think it's great, like you, as your philosophy, you, you've been, never been pushy with me at all. You're just like, hey, when you're ready, let's talk. And you're always available. What made you adopt that uh, philosophy? Because I think you guys deal with lots of customers. And I bet you, I don't know what percentage you, you could guess that are, just not ready and you just keep them you know you keep them in the in the wings until they are you know what just maybe like pushy pushy bosses in the past or you know just like i don't know you go you go shop whether it's a car or you're looking to buy you know uh, camping equipment whatever it is like you hate that like that salesman guy that's just like standing there like hey you know i mean don't get me wrong if you have questions you need help yeah but i, I just never wanted to be a like a a sales, like a pushy salesman, it seems sleazy to me. So it was always like inform my clients. I got all the information. Like when you're ready, you're ready. Just kind of like you said, John, I, not all my clients are four or five years, but I got a ton of them, especially people that, oh, Frank, it's the uh, prices are too high. We want to wait till they come. I mean, I have tons of 2016, 2017, people were convinced the market had peaked, right? We'd been on a, been on a run for five or six, seven years. Um, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Two years goes by, three years now, it's like, okay, we're not going to be able to time this thing. Frank was right. Let's, we've saved up another year or two worth of down payment. Let's pull the trigger. And, you know, they, they bought in 2019 and now the house is worth, you know, $100,000 more than it was. I mean, it's just, I go on and on about stories, but yeah, you know, uh, I have lo lots of clients and it's just kind of just keep nurturing them, stay in contact, be there to answer the questions, you know, when they're ready, they're ready. And how about you, Jason? I feel like uh, you're probably in the same boat because you get to see a lot of people's uh, finances and, uh, you know, how quickly are you able to give people some 
maybe like a reality check or, or some advice once they show you the initial information? Yeah, uh, I give quite a few reality checks. Uh, I mean, it's all over the map, right? You get some people who are very confident and, and secure in their finances. They've been you know, planning and, and doing this forever. They know exactly how much money they can spend and they've really done a ton of research, sometimes too much research, right? To the point where they think they need to save up a 20% down payment and, and the, you know, so they'll hold off way too long. Um, but yeah, I get it a ton on the other end where people, especially first-time home buyers, you know, because they're, they're the ones who aren't really sure what things actually look like. You know, they'll do a little bit of research online and they'll hear about, yeah, I can put a 3% down payment down. So I just need to save up a couple bucks and I'll be good to go. And, uh, you know, I ran into this last uh, last week, uh, you know, with, with somebody. Uh, I've got a great credit score, Jason. It's close to 800. Uh, you know, I, I could put down some money, but the low down payment would probably be better. I don't really have any other bills, so, you know, except for a car payment. So, I, you know, I think this is this is perfect. This is the time. Uh, you know, we pull credit, it's, it's 650, which is almost unlendable, especially if you're trying to put a low down payment down. That little car payment was $767 a month, which is, you know, a, a ton of purchasing power. And it's about $300,000 or so worth of, uh, of a loan, you know, 250 to 300. Um, you know, so it turned out it just wasn't the time, you know, the 3% down payment, they barely met the 3%. But, you know, then I said, what about the closing costs on top of that? I mean, closing costs, what are you talking about? Uh, and again, we didn't even talk about post move, you know, the cost of the move, financing, furniture and all the things that come along with it. So, uh, yeah, come across it all the time. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I, you know, I prefer that somebody comes and talks to me earlier rather than later because we can course correct. Right. It, it was really easy to say, hey, you thought your credit score was 800. It's not anywhere close to that. So here are some different things that you can do because you've still got a little bit of money to save up. So while you're saving that money, why don't you go out and get a credit card? Uh, you know, this person actually didn't even have a credit card. Uh, the, the auto loan was the only piece of credit they had, uh, you know, on, and then student loans. So it was, hey, why don't you go get a credit card, you know, throw your utility bill on that and auto pay it every single month so that you'll start building credit because you've got time. So I would much rather talk to those clients to kind of set them up. And so we can make sure that, you know, they have a seamless transition into purchasing rather than the people that come to me, you know, last second and say, Hey, I just put an offer in on a place uh, and we got it accepted. You know, what do we do now? And we've got to just, you know, uh, we got to kind of scramble to, to get everything or put our ducks in order. We got to do rapid rescores to get credit scores fixed, you know, look at, you know, paying off credit cards, all sorts of different things. You know, I, I much prefer a, a, a longer runway so that we can actually put together a plan. That's a great, you know, that's a great summary. And, and frankly, you know, I think to summarize this episode, it sounds like this is a big financial decision. Um, there's a lot of research you can do. Uh, do your homework, but also don't overthink it. Uh, frankly, you just need to be prepared and you could either get prepared by yourself, you could contact, you know, Jason, Frank, or whoever else you want to work with, but contact someone, talk to a professional. And, and maybe, you know, you know, for me, it was, it took four years for me to get, uh, get to the place where I, I was ready for it. And for some other people, it could be a couple months or, or it could be a year. Um, but, uh, you know, homework is, is your best friend. Any uh, closing comments from either of you guys? Yeah, I guess if I'm trying to, you know, just think of some high level steps, I guess there's three main ones that I think about, you know, number one, know your finances, uh, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, number two, reach out to a professional, uh, especially in today's generation, nobody wants to talk to anybody. 
So I get so many clients and John, I mean, you know, the, the type of people we're talking about right now, you know, you are the, the, the prototype of the, the person who's going to sit there and over research, you're going to be on Google all night long, checking out, you know, all sorts of different things. Uh, and that's, that's the generation, especially of first time home buyers, you know, we've been groomed to, you know, sit there and look at Amazon reviews and, you know, not call anybody for help and, and do everything online. And I see so many, so many people that just spend hours and hours and hours, uh, you know, if you reach out to somebody that, that knows what they're doing, you know, all of those hours of research can literally be summed up in a couple of minutes, not to mention there's so much information online that is blatantly incorrect. Um, it, it's crazy. And we can get into some examples at a different point, but you know, in my industry, uh, there's a whole, whole, whole bankers versus brokers thing, you know, bankers have a lot of money. So if you go online, you're going to see a lot of paid ads, a lot of paid influencing and, and just information that is not anywhere remotely correct. And it all comes down to money. And, and I think that's one thing that I never realized before I was really, really deep into this is just how much money can change the influence of everything that you actually think. Um, so, so yeah, you know, talk to somebody, it takes five minutes to talk to somebody, but the biggest thing is you want to just make sure that the person you're talking to is somebody that you trust because it can also go the other way. You know, there's bad information online, but there's also bad information from somebody that doesn't have your, your best interests at heart. So I'd say that's kind of number two is just reach out and talk to a trusted source. And number three, don't try to time the market. Uh, I'm super guilty of this myself. And I know so many people are, I remember when the pandemic first hit, there was a meme going around of, uh, I don't even know who he is, but it's a, it's a guy who's like behind a tree and he's rubbing his hands. And it was millennials saying like, this is the time because they've been waiting for the market to crash because we all saw 2008 happen and we're all sitting back waiting for you know 2020 to be the same thing. And that's when we go in and we all got burned, myself included, the house that I was looking at and still am looking at, it's gone up about 20% since I originally started looking at it. Frank knows I, I made him come and walk it with me. Uh, and, and and yeah, I mean, you try to time the market, you get burned, just make sure you're in a good financial position. And, you know, the one thing I look back at is, you know, go show me somebody who bought a house in 1979 that overpaid for it. You're not going to find it. Show me somebody that bought a house in 99 that overpaid for it. You're not going to find it. You're getting to the point where somebody that bought a house in 2007, when the market was at the tip of the top, you're not even going to find somebody that overpaid in that market. Because like you said, John, you know, inflation happens. Money is, you know, purchasing power is constantly going down. I know my parents constantly talk about, you know, buying gas for 25 cents a gallon and a, and a nickel for a Snickers bar or whatever. Uh, you know, prices go up over time. And, uh, and if you just get into something when you're ready for it, and as long as you can hold on and withstand, you know, maybe the first few years, prices might go down, you might hit a recession in there. But once you can kind of get out of that initial time period, you're always going to look back and be like, oh, my gosh, I should have bought the whole block. Yeah, I mean, 80 for Chase, me, Frank. yeah, Chasen pretty much nailed it all. I, I think what what is the saying go uh, paralysis by analysis? Um, I mean, I've seen so many people that want to time the market, want to time the market. And then, you know, that three or four per year period, basically what pushes them is they're like, I can't live with my parents anymore. Or I'm so sick of my roommates. Like I just got to pull the trigger and they finally pull the trigger. They buy a house. They're like, man, I should have done this, you know, three or four years ago. I shouldn't have sat there and just overanalyze and try to time the market because it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems impossible to me. Well, thanks, guys. We covered a lot of good topics today, and uh, we'll see you all on the next week uh, on another episode of Home Buying Secrets. See you on the other side. 
Thanks for listening to the Home Buying Secrets Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. 